Hello, and welcome to Living Your Legacy. My name is Sarah Solomon, and I am the head of the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond purely financial. Part of this is working with our clients and their families to help them define and implement a legacy. We believe that legacy is built in everyday decisions, actions, and in achieving goals, philanthropic and otherwise. Through our dialogue, we hope to inspire and guide clients to explore their purpose and build their legacy with intention. Our guest today is Pete Cadence. Pete is a serial entrepreneur and passionate philanthropist. He was a co-founder of Green Thumb Industries and served as CEO until his retirement in 2018. Pete serves as the chairman of the Cadence Family Foundation and Hope Chicago. The Cadence Family Foundation is a charitable organization dedicated to closing the pervasive wealth and education gaps in the U.S. Pete founded Hope Chicago, a nonprofit organization seeking to reduce economic and social inequity by funding post-secondary scholarships and non-tuition costs for Chicago public school graduates and adult family members eager to return to school and update their skills. Hope Chicago has a goal of raising and investing at least $1 billion over the next decade to help tens of thousands of Chicago students and family members earn post-secondary credentials. Pete, welcome to Living Your Legacy. Sarah, thank you for having me. It's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. Let's get started. And as a starting point, it'd be great if you could give our listeners your background and an overview of your personal journey. Sure. I uh, grew up middle-class kid in Toledo, Ohio, but a great upbringing with educated parents. Mom was a uh, a four-term elected official, um, so I had a uh, you know a, a sense of real civic duty. My father was a professor at the local university, and and um, I went on to uh, Bucknell University, and uh, and then actually uh, went on to work at UBS uh, and uh, Sarah with you and and others, and um, had a good run at UBS, and then. Over, um, it, it spent two and a half, three years at UBS and then started five companies um, since then and really have been focused in all the companies I've started on how we can uh, do well by doing good. Um, how can we not only create bottom line opportunity for our shareholders and stakeholders, but also for our community at large? And uh, it's been a fun journey. I've been on 20 or so nonprofit boards and I've really found my... Um, uh, my, my focus on education access. That's where my wife and I and our three kids, that's where our charitable foundation focuses. And I'm excited to talk more about that today. Thank you so much. Let's actually get into that and your focus on education by talking about Hope Chicago. Hope Chicago has a unique and holistic approach to supporting students and parents in every aspect of their education journey. Will you take us through your scholarship model and why it's set up this way? Yeah, sure. So just to back up a little bit, Sarah, um, you know, I, I created the vast majority of my wealth in the, in the cannabis industry, as you mentioned, through a company called Green Thumb Industries that I co-founded and, and served as CEO. And when you're a white male who creates wealth in the cannabis, in the, in the cannabis industry, you start to realize that there needs to be a moment of reconciliation. Because truly what happened, and I said, I've said this a number of times, in life I feel like I won because other people lost. And there's no more pronounced kind of way of seeing that than through the lens of a rich, white, 
cannabis entrepreneur because truly this is an industry built by black and brown folks who grew and dispensed cannabis in their basements and garages and they made a living out of it and they were great entrepreneurs but unfortunately because of who they were and because of the legal construct 10, 15, 20 years ago, they got forced into the criminal justice system and, and really into, into generational poverty. I come along five, ten years later when the state construct opens up and allows opportunities for people like me to get into the cannabis industry in a more legal way, and I make a fortune. And so if, if we're being honest and we're being self-aware, though, the truth is that, that my minority contemporaries created this industry, developed all the entrepreneurial construct, and I came along and benefited. And so I think it would be just excessive hubris um, if if uh, I didn't think about how to go back to those same communities, to the same people who suffered so I could succeed, to give them the same opportunities I had. And when I look at what's the difference between me and them, the difference between me and them is education. Um, and, and for most of us, in terms of educational access, um, my parents, while not wealthy, afforded, struggled, but afforded for me to go to college for free. I didn't owe anyone anything when I got, got out of college. Um, you know, I was in a family unit that focused and prioritized education because our lives weren't Darwinian uh, in the sense that many folks on the south and west sides of Chicago, for example, it's hard for them to think about a future related to education when they can barely think about the future of next month, paying rent, putting food on the table. And so you come to understand culturally why education can't be a priority. And so if we can take that concern off the table for these families, um, we, can, um, we can stimulate educational access and, in my opinion, change culture, change culturally normative behavior in communities that right now are seeing a lot of intractable issues around gun violence, longevity deficits, um, commerce and food deserts. Um, and so I see education and educational access as a pathway to solve many of the intractable issues in our communities, not just education. And so what we decided to do, uh, really the, the mission of the Cadence Family Foundation is to ignite pathways out of poverty through quality educational access. That's what we do. Um, and by the way, to the listeners out there, I think it's super important to have a really tight mission statement. I actually... In the corporate sense, I didn't as much believe in mission statements, but for the purpose of your, my foundation, I have, I have found that my mission statement of igniting pathways out of poverty through quality educational access is a super important thing because everyone knows what we do. And so when the Alzheimer's Foundation and other foundations come to me, even though they're doing great work, it's not our lane, and we have very thoughtfully defined our lane. So in that vein what we decided to do is start a program first in my hometown of Toledo, Ohio. Um, and we decided that we were going to go fund quality educational access for 120 all below the poverty line, black families from a really under-resourced school that, you know, I grew up playing basketball at. Um, and now those students are juniors. And then, um, and then once that program succeeded, then um, we decided that it was an opportunity to, to take the data take the information, take the success from Toledo and bring it to a larger market and do it at scale. Uh, and that's when I hired the woman who is, in my opinion, the best educator in the history of Chicago, Dr. Janice Jackson, who was the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, which is the, the third largest school system in America, 
hire her to run this, you know, this big scholarship program called Hope Chicago. And so there's a lot more uh, nuance to the platform, and Sarah, I'm happy to get into it, but really our goal is to make sure that all students in Chicago public schools who want to go and get, get qualified post-secondary access can go. Um, and we're focused first and foremost on the areas that are at the epicenter of inequity. Those are the south and west sides of Chicago, because that's where the need is greatest. But, Sarah, one important data point to remember, and this is a data point that I am very focused on, there's a data point. We hired a bunch of researchers to come up with this data for us. In Chicago, over the next decade, there is a $944 million educational funding deficit. And what that means is this. For every student who would otherwise go on to college, associate's degrees, or trade schools, who wants to go, who has the desire to go, but simply doesn't have the financial means to go, that is $944 million. That is what Hope Chicago is focusing on. We are focusing on every student that wants that access, who seeks to take their life to the next level through qualified educational access or, or upskilling. We can provide that funding mechanism. That's what Hope Chicago is about. And in my opinion, that's how we leave uh, even the playing fields in this city and, and frankly, in this country. Pete, that's incredible. And thank you for tracing the history of, of your success and the reflections that you have on why you feel called to do this important work. I also really want to emphasize a couple of things that you said related to mission, scale, and research, because those are good practices that we talk with clients all the time when we are doing legacy work around philanthropic planning and having a mission related to the change you want to see. I want to switch gears now. I mentioned this in your introduction. You retired in 2018. Did philanthropy play a role as you were transitioning from your corporate positions, your serial entrepreneur, CEO positions? And how did you think about philanthropy as you became involved in other ventures? Yeah, Sarah, it's a great question. You know, interestingly, um, when I retired, the next six or nine months after that were probably the hardest six or nine months of my life. And I know that seems kind of odd that a 40-year-old guy who grew up in the middle class and, and was able to retire and never make money for the rest of his life if he wanted to was like miserable in the first six or nine months. And, 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 and a lot of that was because of two things. One, I didn't feel like I had an identity anymore. I all, my identity was always CEO or, you know, I had a reasonable intellect or I was a leader in the community. And then I kind of went to like nothing. I'm just like, I'm a rich guy. And I didn't really want to just be known as rich because I, I value my energy around philanthropy and my intellect and, you know, and, and just who I am as a person, probably and certainly more than my wealth. But it was a very frustrating phase for me. And it was in that phase that I was thinking about, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because I, I know I don't want to run a company anymore, but I'm 40 years old and I don't want to sit idle. The other thing, too, I just want to talk about, because I know a bunch of people can associate with this. On the, on the day when I became what I would say materially wealthy, which was in the day we took Green Thumb Industries public in June of 2018, um, you know, it, it might, you know, when I became rich, quote unquote, at the same moment, I had this odd juxtaposition that I felt very relationship poor. And so it's like, there's lots of different permutations of wealth. 
I became wealthy according to the traditional, the society's traditional definition of wealth in my bank account, but I felt very poor in other areas of my life, namely my mental health, my physical health, my relationship health. Um, and so over those next six to nine months after I retired, I just decided that I was going to get healthy and become relationship rich. And, and part of that was getting back invested with my family, my elderly parents, my siblings, my kids, my wife. But, but a big part of that too was like, Philanthropy makes me whole. It fulfills me. It makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good in the world. Um, it gets me up in the morning. It stimulates me. And so I knew, though, that I also had to still exercise that entrepreneurial muscle, Sarah. Like, I'm not just one of those guys who's like a good passive investor or a good passive donor. I have to be like hands-on engaged. Like, I don't really get excited by investing in a, in a hedge fund and just like sitting back as an LP. And I don't really get excited by just stroking a $25,000 check to be the presenting sponsor at a gala and having nothing to do with it. That, that isn't inspiring to me. So I knew I had to do something that exercised my entrepreneurial muscle, which I still had, um, and that focused on something where I had real connective tissue. And so that connective tissue for me was education because my parents were so educated and so focused on education and because I knew that the delta between me and those other folks out there who hadn't experienced as much success as I had was educational access. I knew that that was my way to pay it backward. And that's a really important thing I want to highlight, Sarah. A lot of people talk about paying it backward. But you know what? I thought about something different. I thought about the fact that for all the people and communities who suffered so I could succeed, I needed to go back to those communities and pay it back to them. The people of Toledo, Ohio, my high school basketball coach, whose mortgage I paid off and I named a gym after him, the, the high school gym where I, where I grew up playing. You know, like these are the people who made me. Um, my parents, I donated a million dollars to the University of Toledo Law School to create a, a, a diversity scholarship fund because the law school paid my dad um, and, and created opportunities for me. And so I've been, I just started focusing on paying it backward to the people who, who made so much sacrifice so I could succeed. And when I looked at it, it was people in the field of education. It was my history basketball coach. It was my father who was an educator. It was my principal. It was, it was a friend of mine who was at Scott High School who was a basketball player with me who educated me on, on things related to black culture. Like, it was all about education. That's why, that's why I became who I was. And so I just decided to pay it backward to the people who suffered so I could succeed. And it was all about education. And it was all about, as well, starting something that I felt good about. Um, so it, it, it was kind of like this perfect nexus of entrepreneurial, paying it backward, focus on, th on things that fulfilled me, uh, that brought me to the point of starting Hope Toledo, and then, of course, later, uh, Hope Chicago, which is now the largest scholarship program in the country. Thanks for being so open about how you felt at the start of your quote-unquote being rich phase of life. What you said will relate to so many clients, and in the work that we do, we think and help clients on qualitative capitals. It's obvious that a wealth manager like UBS would take incredible care and diligence in helping clients manage their liquid portfolios. But when you think about true wealth, it's comprised of qualitative capitals too, human, social, intellectual, and spiritual capital. And that's what defines true wealth. So one last question for you, Pete. You have achieved 
absolutely incredible impact through your entrepreneurial success and through your philanthropy as you've really been living with intention to create your legacy. I'm interested, though, how would you describe your own legacy and what role does your family play in shaping it? Yeah, that's a tricky one, Sarah. You know, I don't, um, I, I think about legacy a lot. Everything I do with my children is about legacy. My, my, my children are a focal, point of, a focal point of my work because, because of the wealth I've been able to create. Um, it's important to me that my children are very familiar with how we give and why we give. And so I bring my, because they are eventually one day going to run our foundation. Um, that's one of my big focus areas is educating my kids in such a way where they take over the foundation in some period of years, 20 or 30 years down the road. Um, and so my first focal point on legacy is my kids who are going to carry on the Cadence Family Foundation and, and, and its work. Um, and so I bring them to everything I do. Um, you know, um, whether it's a political fundraiser or, you know, I'm being honored at something or I'm speaking or I'm awarding scholarships, they are always there. Um, and, uh, it's important for them to know that mom and dad are doing important work. And by the way, I should say my wife, Amy, um, has given away more diapers in this city than any person in the history of Chicago. She, she, she and her organization have given away 15 million diapers to, to, to families in need. Her fo- focus is diaper need. Uh, and she is about to launch a major initiative that will make sure that hopefully every Chicagoan who needs diapers because they're so expensive and federal benefits do not pay for, for diapers like they do for food, for example, she is focused on on solving that issue in Chicago, and she's a hero of mine for that. And so between the two of us, we're really addressing inequity needs here in Chicago and hopefully beyond. And and I think from, from my legacy, it's all about, you know, was he generous? You know, what, was he kind? Um, did he help the people who, who helped him and pay it backward, like I said? Um, and and that's, that's what I'm focused on. I, I just feel like, you know, there are some people in this world who are just, they're just mean. They're just jerks and they're greedy. And, and I just feel like it's so much easier to be nice and generous and kind and thoughtful. Am I perfect? No. Does everyone think I'm the nicest guy in the world? No. But I make it, when I meditate every morning, um, which is something spiritually that I believe and I'm invested in, a 12-minute meditation every single morning, part of my transcendental meditation is talking about, you know, um, being a positive light in this world. Again, I'm not going to make everyone my best friend. Not everyone is going to love me. But if I can have a positive impact just in some minor way on the way society operates, uh, I, I will feel like I have succeeded in life. Um, and I feel like a lot of us rich entrepreneurs, we, we chase stimulation. Like it's this perpetual hamster wheel of chasing stimulation. Now, I, sir, I've met a lot of people who, you know, they wake up one day and they, they make $250 million, and the very next day, they're stimulated to double it and make $500 million. Well, that wasn't me, um, but I can understand that ethos because when I became very rich, the next day I was focused on entrepreneurially, what am I going to do to make impact? How can I double down on the success I've created and turn it into, into significance? Um, and so I think that that's the journey I'm on, and that's what my legacy is going to be, being generous, being kind making an, an indelible mark in the world for my family, but also for people who need me. Um, and, you know, one thing I will challenge all of our, your clients on and just a broader population of, of, of wealthier folks, we can all do more. If you can look yourself in the mirror 
and say that you can't do more, my opinion is you're lying to yourself. We can all do more. Uh, and so if I can inspire others to do just a little bit more, to give a little bit more, um, to think a little bit harder about how they can help people who, who need help, um, my legacy will be solidified. And that's what I'm really, um, that's what I hope it will be. Pete, you are living my favorite definition of legacy, which is who you love and how you love them. Thank you for putting out that challenge to everyone to do more, to have an impact, to make a significant difference in the communities, be it locally, nationally, or globally. I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I also want to thank our listeners for sharing in this journey with Pete. Each month, we'll be publishing a new episode on Living Your Legacy, which explores inspiring stories like Pete's on how others have worked toward defining and contributing to their legacies to make a difference for others. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Sarah. It's been great. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 